All right. Well, today we find ourselves moving on through the book of Mark. We're going to be finding ourselves in chapter four, chapter four of the book of Mark. In some ways, we're going slowly. In some ways, we're going quickly. Depends on how you look at this as we go through Mark. Today, I'm going to take a section of scripture here that's going to be 34 verses long, almost all of the chapter uh, here in chapter four. And I just want to remind everybody as we go through Mark uh, that this is not an exhaustive study. We're not going to look at every single nuance and every single uh, little piece that we see. We're getting an overall view of who Jesus is. And as we understand who Jesus is, then we can model our lives after Him. And uh, not, only the, what he, not only what He did, but also what He taught. And this morning we're going to see a good deal of Jesus' teaching. And if many of you know, Jesus taught many times by using parables. Parables are stories used to make a point. That's the simplest way to describe them. They're stories that will relate to the hearer, but they have a deeper meaning. It's not just stories for story's sake that get people to feel like it's an entertaining story, but it's a story that makes people think uh, about truth. That's how Jesus uses parables. That's why many times when people will preach, they'll use an illustration or, or some type of, of help, some type of story to help us to see what God might have for us in His Word. Now this morning, I love when we come to these passages where Jesus gives parables because the illustration is built into the sermon, so I don't have to worry about that part. It's great because Jesus is the best person to give us illustrations, to give us this parable that will tell us a story. There's actually going to be three parables that we're going to look at, but they are meant to communicate truth meant to communicate truth, especially to those and only to those really who are ready to hear it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we turn to Mark chapter 4. A little bit of review if you haven't been with us or even if you have. So far in the book of Mark, just a quick overview, what we've seen is that Jesus is identified in Mark as the suffering servant king. That although he is a king in bringing the kingdom of God, which we'll talk a lot about today, that not only is he just a king, but he is the suffering servant king. This doesn't make sense. A king shouldn't have to suffer, and his king has, has servants, isn't a servant. And yet, we see that Jesus is both at the very same time. He is the suffering servant king. As we continue on, we also see that Jesus is shown to be truly God and truly man at the same time. Somehow, some way, and we can't fully grasp it, but we understand that Jesus came as a man to die for our sins. He needed to be a man to pay the penalty for man's sin. But yet, at the same time, not only is 100% God, but is also 100 or 100% man, but is also 100% God. He has authority over all things, which brings us to our next point as we've looked at Mark. As such, since Jesus is truly God, truly man, all together in one, as such, Jesus had authority over all things. He had authority over the physical realm, the spiritual realm. He has authority to forgive sins. And we looked at that as we've gone through Mark, and we're going to continue to see that. We'll see that Jesus continues to show His authority, even later on in chapter 4 when we get there next week or beyond. And then the last couple of weeks, we looked at the idea that because of this authority that Jesus has, and people are recognizing this authority, Jesus' authority led to opposition and pressure. People were coming against Jesus. People were trying to find ways to discredit Jesus, to make it so that he wouldn't be able to minister or that what he was saying wasn't true. And when they couldn't combat even the fact of what he was doing and the miracles, they couldn't find a way to explain it. They even went so far to blame Jesus to say that he was casting out demons and healing people based on demonic power. That he's not the son of God, actually he's the son of Satan. That's really what they were saying last week in chapter 3. And if you remember last week, we also see that this opposition and pressure wasn't just from the religious elite, although that was most of it. He also found some opposition and some pressure coming from his own family that thought he was a lunatic. And Jesus is in this place now where he's been facing opposition, he's facing all this pressure, and once again, if you remember, with, through that opposition and pressure, Jesus did one thing. I would it, Overall arching thought here is He focused on eternity. He focused on God. He focused on His mission uh, that would be, have eternal value. And so we see that in Jesus, and we can, we can try to live as much like that as possible and, and putting value on what is most important, the things that will last eternity, the things of God. 
And the opposition and pressure that Jesus faced, though, did not stop him from doing what he was meant to do. That's the key we see here. Many of us with the opposition and pressure that Jesus was facing from all sides would have given up. We would have walked away. We would have uh, gone and, and gone to our house with our family and just hid away and, and just got away from all of it. And yet Jesus doesn't stop what he knows he's meant he's here to do. To come to preach salvation, to preach the gospel. That is Jesus' mission, that is his goal. We saw that back in Mark chapter 1. And we see that Jesus' mission is going to continue. Opposition is not going to stop him. Pressure from family and from obligations and from all those around him is not going to stop him from doing what he is meant to do. Then that is again to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's where we find ourselves as we enter Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to see a couple things are happening. We're going to see, first of all, Jesus is teaching the people as the crowd goes larger, grows larger. We see that Jesus now, he, he's been kind of having this back and forth with people about all these things that people are trying to say against him. He's been healing, he's been casting out demons. And now we see a piece of Jesus where he's teaching the people, these crowds that are continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger as he continues to do miracles, as he continues to walk, go around and teach and preach. As he does this, the crowds continue to grow. The, the, the pressure and opposition actually don't get less, but they actually get more. And in the process of this, we see Jesus' teaching. And he begins to teach them specifically about the kingdom of God through parables. I already mentioned that, maybe you were already ahead of me there, but we see that Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom of God through parables. Stories that relate to truth. And that is what Jesus does here in Mark chapter 4. So if you'll join me in reading Mark chapter 4, we're going to read all the way up through verse 34, if you would read with me. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing uh, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and even a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that... They may indeed see, but not perceive, and that they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, a lamp is brought in to be put under, is, is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. For if anything is secret, or, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man has scattered the seed on the ground. He, see, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, 
with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable should we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when is sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. There's a long passage here, and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if we'll be able to get through everything, but we're at least going to try to get through this first part when we look at this first parable, and we'll see where we are from there. We may have to split this into two weeks. There's so much here that we see. We're trying to do an overview. Many of you have heard this first parable many times. Parable of the sower. You probably heard it all the way back to when you were a child if you grew up in the church. Uh, the, the man who goes out to sow seeds and how that works out and what the soils are and all those things. There might not be a whole lot of new things today as we look at these parables, but I want us all to really consider this one question as we look at this passage. Don't put this on and say, oh, we're going to read this passage and think about those who are out there. Think about what soil you might be. What soil are you right now? Right now. Jesus starts here by summing up how the message of the kingdom will be received in different ways by different types of people. He does this through a parable about a sower who is sowing seeds. So this parable we see starts us off, and he says, by the way, he, he mentions later on, he says, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand anything else. The whole point of this is he wants those who are listening to understand that the reception of the gospel is going to be different. Not everyone who hears is going to receive it. And actually, the people who don't receive it are going to not receive it for different reasons. And Jesus wants it to be clear that even in these crowds that he's teaching, there are going to be, if you think about it, there's four types of soil. Three of them don't bear any fruit and one bears fruit. The majority of people listening are going to reject the message for one reason or another. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's just go into the first parable and see the reception of the message of the kingdom. The reception of the message of the kingdom. First of all, we see the description in verses 3 through 8. The first couple of verses kind of give us an understanding of what he's doing. Remember that he's teaching this large crowd. He's doing it through parables. And then in verse 3 through 8, we see he describes this parable. He gives the parable, the story. He doesn't attach the truth to it yet at this point, And yet starts with this story about a sower. We see that a sower goes out and he sows seeds on four different soils. Four different soils. We have the hard path, the rocky soil... Thorny bushes, thorny bushes and thorny soil and good soil. Those are the four soils that he mentions that the seeds are going to be sown on. And as I already mentioned, we see that three of these soils yield nothing. Notice, they yield nothing. They might grow for a little bit, but they don't harvest anything. They don't get to the point where they can be harvested. They don't have any fruit. They don't have any grain, whatever it might be. They have not matured to the point where they can produce anything. One of the four soils actually produces fruit not only just a little bit of fruit but a lot of fruit in some cases a hundredfold that that is like 10 times as much as people would would normally get in that day from from a crop and so jesus is making it very clear that there are three soils uh, the hard path the rocky soil and the thorn thorny soil that are not going to re- produce any fruit and the good soil will So that's important to understand. He tells the story, he gives the description of the parable, and then he moves on, and there seems to be this part that, why is this even here? Well, remember, this parable, I think, relates exactly to this next passage, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, so that those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Uh, this is a, a hard passage. This is an interesting passage where Jesus is basically saying this. Some hearers are ready to hear. Some hearers that are going to hear the message of the kingdom of God are ready to hear it. But the truth of the matter is, is others aren't. This is partly due to the deceitfulness of sin, the hardness of sin that has crept into their lives But there's also this understanding as he quotes from Isaiah here. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is where he quotes. And this is when Isaiah is being told to go to the people of Israel and to declare a message. And remember, this is the point where where Isaiah stands up and says, Here am I, send me. 
And what is the message that God has Isaiah proclaim? Well, he has him proclaim a message that is going to close their eyes and close their ears. Now, there is a purpose behind this. Even in this point, now Jesus is quoting this, and the understanding is this, that there are people that aren't going to hear, and in a very real sense, God is not allowing them to hear. But this is so that the word can spread even further. Because the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of the gospel of the kingdom of God is to spread to all nations, to all the world. Not to just stay in Israel, not to just stay with a certain group of people. And so he says, look, I'm going to teach in parables so that God is going to have to be the one to enlighten people to see the truth that is here. I'm not just going to come out and make it super plain because then everybody will want to follow and understand, but they've got, they need to be ready to hear. They need to be ready to receive. And the point is that not everybody is ready. And so he's going to give parables so that the truth that is behind it will be seen by those who are ready to see it and ready to hear it. So some hearers are ready to hear, others aren't. God reveals the secret of the kingdom to some. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. He's speaking to his closest followers. He says, I'm, I'm giving you the ability. I'm revealing the secret of the kingdom of God. By the way, the secret is not something that is like hidden away that nobody can figure out. The secret is a fulfilled vision. So the secret has been the fulfilled thing that's been told about all throughout the Old Testament. That the kingdom of God was coming. It would take, the whole world would be under the kingship of the Messiah. That is the message from the beginning of scripture. And what Jesus is saying is the mystery, that secret. People didn't know how that was going to look. Jesus is here and the secret is about to be revealed. And he's revealing it to some people. But not all are getting it revealed to them. Not all of them are able to understand it. This is hard for us to understand why some people would be closed or why God would allow people to be closed. Why wouldn't he just let everyone be open to the gospel? God has very specific plans and very specific reasons for everything he does. Even when it's hard to understand, we need to trust him. He knows who needs to hear. He knows who needs to receive. And some won't. That is the truth we see as we go throughout scripture. There are some that hear and some that don't. Actually, we even see back in the Old Testament, Pharaoh, God hardened his heart. These are hard things for us to understand, but God has a purpose, God has a reason, and we need to trust him in that. And so then he continues on and he he goes before his closest followers to help them out in this process of understanding the truth that is behind the parables. So then Jesus in verse 13 starts goes from the description, he has a lack of understanding he deals with, and then he goes to the explanation in verses 14 through 20. In verses 14 through 20, this is where we see Jesus unpack the truth of the parable of the sower. First of all, we see that the sower is one who spreads the word. The sower is the one who spreads the word. That's what he says here in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And he says these are the ones, and he goes and starts explaining the soils. So let's take a minute to talk about the sower because that's a piece of this parable that we need to understand. Primarily at this point, this sower that's being pointed to is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he's been teaching, he's been sharing, and he's also given his disciples, his apostles, uh, authority to go out and teach as well. So it's him and his closest followers. And he's, he's really saying that he's the first sower. He's the original sower who is sowing the seed of the word, of the gospel. Jesus is doing that. Now this also extends to those who will follow him and come after him. This includes you, my, includes me, whoever might be sharing the good news of Jesus. And so the sower is the one who spreads the word. It's the person who is preaching or teaching or spreading the word. And that is who the sower is. And what is the word? Well, we've got to understand this in context here. Jesus, surely he's talking about the revelation that has been given in the Old Testament, but there was no New Testament yet. Jesus is talking about this word. What is the word that he's referring to? I think it's pretty clear to see that the word is Jesus' proclamation of the gospel. Mark 1, 14 through 15. We were, not, we were there a few weeks ago. Mark 1, 14 and 15. And this is what this verse says. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What is the word that is being sown? Well, the word that is being sown is what we see here, that the time has been fulfilled. The king is here. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is here. Repent 
and believe. The word that is being sown is the gospel. This is what Jesus is referring to. The gospel that goes forth that says the kingdom is here, the Messiah has come, I'm the Messiah as Jesus would say, and therefore you need to repent and believe. Now a few weeks ago we already talked about this, but I can't just go by this point without making it again. The gospel is to believe and to repent. They're the same idea. They work together as one. They're not two separate things. We believe in Jesus, that He came to the world to pay the penalty for our sin, that He lived a perfect life, that He gave everything for us by dying on the cross so that He could take the punishment for our sin, the sin that we committed, that we disobeyed God, we went against His will, and we did things our own way. And we we deserve hell and punishment forever for that. And yet Jesus took death and took sin upon his body, the perfect Lamb of God. God himself on the cross died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We're forgiven by his blood. He shed his blood so that if we ask for forgiveness, he, could, he will grant us forgiveness. We can live forever with him in heaven. He rose again to once again prove that sin and death had no hold on him. And sin and death therefore has no hold on us as believers. That we will have eternal life if we will believe and repent. We need to believe those things about Jesus. We need to believe in who Jesus is. Believe is about trust. We trust Jesus. We trust God with our lives. We don't trust ourselves any longer. And that's where repenting comes in. Repenting is turning away from trusting ourselves. Belief and faith is turning and trusting God. And these things go together. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus preached from the time he started preaching. You need to repent and believe. You need to repent, stop trusting in yourself, and instead turn and trust in Christ. That is the word that is being sown. And if we don't understand that, we can lose a lot of this parable. But then he moves on, he says, look, this is the word, that is the gospel. How are people going to receive it? And so, first of all, we see that the soils really are representing the hearts of the hearers. The soils are the hearts of those who are hearing the gospel. So let's look at these four soils pretty quickly. We see the first soil is the path. Now if you think about what a path would be, I mean just think about if you're sowing seed, right? If you're going to be planting a garden, you're not going to pick the place that's been trampled upon time and time and time again. It's going to be hard soil. The seed's not even going to find a way in and the birds will take it away as Jesus talks about. And, and, And those seeds will be taken up because they're on the hard path. So these hearts are hard hearts. Hearts that are not ready, that don't want to, that are going, that are defiantly against the gospel. Perhaps one group of people that Jesus may even be referring to because of the opposition that he's been facing is, would be the scribes and the Pharisees. They're hard hearts that are not ready to receive anything. It doesn't even begin to take root. It doesn't even begin to make a change in their lives. And, and so this is the soil. This is the hard heart. Is your heart a hard heart? Are you just resistant and rebelling against God and His message? Are you making up reasons and justifying the way you live so that you don't have to receive the gospel that He has given? And so this is that first hard heart. Maybe it's the Pharisees. Maybe it's just those people who just will not even give it a chance. Satan will just snatch away any hope, any truth right away. And we see that this is actually true. We see later on in, in the New Testament, I'm just going to reference this, I would encourage you to write down the, the, the passage here. Hard hearts are, are shown to us in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have chosen the hard heart, the hard heart that says, I'm not going to let the gospel make any difference in my life. I'm not going to let it penetrate me even in the littlest amount and I will go and live the way I want to live. That is a hard, calloused heart. Is that us? Is that you? Have you heard the gospel but yet you will not receive it because you have a hard heart? And you're more willing to, you want to live the life that you want to live, the life that makes you feel good, the, the life that you know is wrong, but yet you continue to live in it anyway, and you refuse to listen to Jesus. That is the hard heart. And so Jesus is clear here that people who hear the message, some are going to have hard hearts. They're not going to listen even for a 
moment. Then he moves on to the rocky soil. Rocky soil, I, I would explain the best way of saying shallow hearts. Shallow hearts. Whereas the hard heart won't receive anything, the shallow heart receives almost too quickly, if this makes any sense. And, and what the shallow heart is all about is an emotional faith that withers when it's tested. That's what Jesus says. He says, at first it sprouts up, you know, shallow soil, it, it sprouts right up, it's ready to go, and, and, and then as soon as the sun comes out, it scorches it away because it has no root. It has no sustenance. So this is emotional faith that withers when it's tested. You know, there are so many people and preachers out there today that are preaching this prosperity gospel you've heard of. It's the, you know, if you come to Jesus, then your life is going to be good. You're going to have health. You're going to have wealth. You're going to have happiness beyond your greatest desires. And although we can have true joy in Christ, those things are not always promised to those who believe in Jesus. Actually, a lot of times, and through a scripture, we see that the life that is coming is hardship. Remember the song we sang, You Are Worth It All? There's going to be persecution. There's going to be hard times. There are things we're going to have to give up knowing that we'll receive a hundredfold when we get to heaven. And that's what we need to be able to do to count the cost. And shallow hearts don't count the cost. Shallow hearts receive it. They're excited about it. I would say these are a lot of the crowd that are following Jesus right now. They see him healing people. And then he says, hey, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, you're the Messiah. And they're excited about it. And then when the times get tough, they wither away and they fall away and they don't produce fruit. James 5, 7-11 through 11 talks about this group of people. James 5, 7-11, through 11, and this is written to Christians telling, telling us what we need to do. And he says in verse 7 of James chapter 5, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke to you in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. For you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In James, James is very, very clear. Having faith in Christ is a faith that is for the long haul. It's one that we count the cost and understand that it's not an easy life, it's a hard life. If you don't know what a hard life is like, and if you think you're living a hard life, take a minute to read through the book of Job. If you think your life is bad, read Job. That's all I'm going to say because, man, I'll tell you, that humbles me more than anything else. No matter what I'm going through, it's nothing compared to what Job had to go through. And so we see, as James points that out, he says we need to be steadfast, we need to persevere, we need to be patient. Notice he uses the same type of imagery here when he talks about a farmer. And Jesus is using that same imagery here about the farmer, the seed, the, the seed sower. And so the idea is that we need to not have shallow hearts, we need to have deep hearts, hearts that will persevere even when times get tough. And I will say this, I think in today's world especially, these groups of people that we're talking about, I think most times people fall into these the rocky soil and the thorny soil categories. Either they wilt under pressure or they're never made deep because they care about their stuff more than Jesus. And that brings us to the thorny soil. The thorny soil. The only way I can really describe this, and I've heard it described as I was studying, was divided hearts. Divided hearts. So, so far we've had hard hearts, shallow hearts. Now, divided hearts hearts. These are the people when they hear the word, it starts to take root. It starts to grow. Things seem to be good and yet the thorns come in and they strangle the plants. And what are these thorns? Well, Jesus tells us wealth, worry about worldly things, materialism. What He specifically says is those who the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Once again, even though it begins to grow, it never bears fruit. And so, whereas the last group of people, they hear it, they get excited about it, then times get tough and they leave, this people actually I think is even more dangerous and I would say for our society, this is where we can fall into so easily of being this type of soil where we have come to know Jesus, we have, 
we, we claim to know Jesus at least, and we claim to know Him, and we come to church, and we put our time in, if you will. And, and, may, and the idea, though, is that the world controls us. The things of this world, the riches that we pursue, the possessions that we want, the desires of our own hearts take precedent over anything that God really wants. And I, want to, I just want to say to you today that Jesus says that's not going to bear fruit. You are not going to be the one who receives the word in the way that it's meant to be received. And I think this is a danger for us. I believe that Satan's greatest tool in some ways is, uh, is luxury. When you don't realize that you need God, it's very easy to forget Him. If you can have everything you want and more without Jesus, then why have Jesus? I actually was just driving by a church the other day, and I don't, I don't, I don't remember which church, I'm not even going to tell you, but I remember the sign said something about um, if you need, uh, if life doesn't have all the ingredients it needs, add Jesus, or something like that. I think that is one of the most detrimental things to say. Jesus is not somebody to be added to your life. It's not just like, oh, I've got this thing going, that thing, everything. Oh, Jesus, why don't you come in too and be part of this? That is the worst thing we can say. Jesus does not want to just be added in as a part of our life that we give homage to, that we give, you know, we give worship to on one day a week and then the rest of the week, who cares? That's, Jesus doesn't want to be part. He wants to be all. He wants to be all of our life. And see, we see this soil here. It's the opposite of the ones who fall away when it gets hard. They fall away because it's easy. People are kept away from truly receiving the gospel because of luxury and because they have everything they need and they look to the world. Many of you know 1 John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is very clear. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This passage makes it abundantly clear that the love of the world is not what we're called to. Actually, if we're loving the world and the things that are in the world, the worldly system, the, the ways that our own selfish desires, if we are living within that, what the Bible says is the love of the Father is not in you, not in us. This is a real problem. This isn't just, oh, no big deal. It goes on and says, all that is in the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is Jesus' whole point as he's talking about this parable and going back to chapter 3. The world doesn't last. All that you see is going to be gone. Good things, bad things, in-between things, they're all going to be gone. They don't last. All that lasts is what we do for Jesus. The fruit that we bear for Him is what lasts. Not all the desires of our life that we can so easily get ensnared by and get choked by. Don't be someone who is being choked by the world's offerings. They don't last. There's no reason. Come to God and do His will, not the will of the world. One other passage that I want to mention is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, a divided heart tries to find trust and security in stuff, in money. The heart that follows after God finds security in Christ. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? They worry about what God wants, not what man wants. To be content. In these divided hearts, this thorny soil is not content. They want more and more and more, and it chokes the life out of them. And finally, Jesus gets to the good soil. After three soils that don't receive the gospel, maybe for a short time were excited about the gospel, or for a short time even seemed like they were growing, but then they got strangled and they got taken down. Jesus finally gets to these last people, and he says, These are accepting hearts. Accepting hearts. Those who will receive the message, not only receive it, we're told, they hear it, they accept it, and they bear fruit. It becomes more than just hearing. It becomes more than just, oh yeah, okay, I understand who Jesus is. 
It becomes more than that. They accept it. They say, yes, I understand that I need Jesus desperately and I'm coming to Him. But then also they bear fruit. Because it all goes together. James 2 is all about how we need to have faith and works. That it all goes together. That fruit follows faith. It, it goes together. It's all one thing. Beyond that, we see a couple other passages in Scripture about this idea of fruit. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. In this passage, this is what we see. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We have forgiveness of sin. We are redeemed and therefore we bear fruit. That is what Paul is praying for in Colossians, that fruit would be would be. We would be bearing fruit in our lives, and that is good works. It's doing things that are godly. It's doing the will of God. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, by the way. This is simply taking what God says in His Word and doing it. Not just being hearers of the Word, as James would say, but being doers of the Word. And that is exactly what we're called to be. In John 15, many of you know that whole passage is all about the vine and the branches. And we cannot bear fruit Unless we abide in the vine. We are simply the branches that come off of the vine. If we are separated from that vine, then we have no fruit, no hope. And Jesus is making that very clear here that the good soil is accepting hearts, those who accept the message and bear fruit. Their life will show that they indeed have accepted the gospel. I have a summary passage that I want to read this morning from the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, I found this so interesting that years and years before Jesus came, and I'm sure Jesus even had this in mind. I mean, these are the words of God, so I'm sure he had them in there. And he, in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, it's kind of a foreshadowing of exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when the heat comes, or its leaves, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The same agricultural analogy is being made from Jeremiah. Now Jesus is taking the same thing. There's two separate types. And really, we looked at four different soils, but the first three are all one type. It's a, it's a soil that is not trusting in the Lord, but is instead trusting in man. They're trusting in themselves. The first one trusts themselves so much they won't even listen. The second one trusts themselves so much that... When things get tough, they think this isn't fair to me, so I'm going to leave. The third group is the group that's, that uh, that says that they're going to trust man, they're going to trust themselves, and the idea that if this, if I can make things happen on my own, why do I need the gospel? And so there's really only two types of people: those who reject the message of the Lord because they would rather fulfill man's desire, their own desire, and then those in seven through eight here in Jeremiah that trust. The Lord, they're like a tree planted by the water and their fruit will never cease. Remember and point out here too that God is the one providing the fruit. God is making the fruit come. It's not that we can force ourselves to make fruit, but if we know Jesus, if we've accepted His gospel, then fruit will be there. If you look at your life and you're like, I just don't see what Jesus is doing. I don't see that He's made any change in my life. Then you really need to consider whether you're truly of the good soil. Or maybe you're, you're struggling in being one of the other soils and you don't even realize it. That when things get tough, you run away. Or you've been so obsessed with things and wealth and money that you've forgotten about Jesus. Fruit will be a result because Jesus is the one causing fruit to come. And so that is Jesus' first parable about the kingdom. 
He wants to make sure that the disciples, the apostles, those who are listening, understand that there are people that are going to receive the message and people that are not. And there's various reasons why they won't. And he also wants us to see what an accepting heart would look like. So after teaching about the reception of the message of the kingdom, Jesus changes subjects and gives a parable about a lamp to give his disciples an idea of what they should do after they receive the gospel. They need to share it. It's that simple. So if you go back to Mark with me in Mark chapter 4, he does move on in verse 21. He said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So he moves. He moves the, the parable. He's talking about harvesting and then he's like, Well, I'm going to talk about a lamp now. So it seems like they should be not even part of the same group. But really, what Jesus is telling the people who are hearing as he goes on, he talks about them hearing, paying attention to what you hear. It will be measured to you and more will be added. For the one who has, more will be given. Jesus is talking about the fact that you need to be ready to listen. You need to be ready to hear what I have to say. But then the idea of a lamp is that it needs to be revealed. Not only do you understand it, But then as a follower, if you understand what God is saying, you need to share that with the world around you. The gospel, so we're talking here about the relay of the message of the kingdom. The relay of the message of the kingdom, that we need to relay that to the world around us. In verse 21, he talks about a lamp, and it's very simple. Light is meant to be seen. If I go to your house and you've got a lamp on and you've covered it up, that's weird. Right? You, I, I mean, that's just strange. You're just burning electricity for no reason. And Jesus is saying that, look, a lamp is not there to be hidden. A lamp is to shine for people to see, for people to understand. And he says, you need to pay attention so that when it's given to you, you can give it out as well. Many of you will know Matthew five fourteen through 16. Matthew five fourteen through 16 talks about this and says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a parallel passage that talks about light, and it says, we are the light of the world, and therefore we can't cover it up, but we need to let our light shine. We need to share that through the way we live, through the way we talk through who we are, the fruit that we are bearing, that he just got done talking about. And that's where the connection comes. And he says, look, if you are the ones who are of the good soil, this is what should happen. You should become a light because you are a light. I've made you a light. I am the light of the world and I've given you light to show to the world around you. And you need to share through the way you live, the way you talk, and who you are. Indeed, the message of the kingdom is light. In verse 22, the message of the kingdom is light. It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Remember earlier, he talked about the fact that the mystery of the kingdom or the secret of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, look, nothing is hidden. That mystery is not hidden to stay hidden, but it's to come to light. It's to be revealed. We need to reveal that. John 8, 12 tells us very clearly. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why are we lights? Why do we share the light? Because Jesus is the light. And as Jesus penetrates our hearts, we can be light to those around us. So the message is given to us as we see in verses 23 through 25 here in Mark, and it must be shared with the world. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That is the message that is being proclaimed. That we proclaim the light of the kingdom, the message of, of faith towards God and repentance. That is the message that needs to be shared. And so although it seems weird that Jesus moves on to this lamp idea, it very much goes right alongside with what he just said. He said the person that receives the word is going to bear fruit and is going to understand and receive it, but it doesn't stop there. You need, your fruit will be the light that shows the world around you the gospel. So once teaching about the message of the kingdom being received and shared, Jesus returns to the agricultural world with two more parables about seeds that show the result and extent of the kingdom. So in the third parable, we see the result of the message of the kingdom. The result of the message of the kingdom. And this is where he starts talking about the farmer again. In verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He's going back to that same type of analogy. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. 
Seeds grow, the first thing we see here is that seeds grow with no work from the farmer. I'm not saying no work. Obviously, he plants. Okay, but the farmer himself cannot will the plant to grow. Trust me. My wife and I have tried to garden. Everything dies, no matter how hard we try. We cannot do things on our own. We cannot will a plant to live and bear fruit. But what we know is that God is the one who grows fruit. God is the one who works in the hearts of people. And in the same way, the seed is planted, everything happens, the farmer sleeps, doesn't really even think about it, and the crop grows until it grows to maturity and then it can be harvested. But this is not dependent upon the work of the farmer. And so the kingdom of God is not dependent upon us as people we cannot bring the kingdom of God by being good enough or being sharing the word enough. And there are people out there that believe that the kingdom won't come until we've Christianized the world. And that's part of why the crusades happened and those type of things. And that's not true. There's nothing we can do to bring the kingdom of God. God is the one that is working in the hearts of people. God is the one who is bringing the kingdom to full maturity. And then he uses this reference to a mustard seed. And he says, small seeds grow into large trees. 30 through 32. And so we see this another agricultural thing. And it says, look, the kingdom of God is coming. It starts small. It's going to get big. It's going to be large. It's going to be larger than any of the other plants. Now, in Jewish culture, the mustard seed was like the smallest seed you could imagine. And so Jesus is using the smallest thing they know and talking about how large it grows to. And what Jesus is saying is very simple. Uh, and by the way, when it talks about birds and branches, that reference in, is used in Daniel 4 and Ezekiel 31 to reference uh, a superpower who rules the nations. That the nations will be the birds that will come and settle in the shadow of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus is once again prophesying and, and, and drawing back to the Old Testament that the kingdom of God is going to come. It is going to rule over all the world in a very real way. The nations will be under the shadow of the tree, but it starts small. Remember, the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah to come in and just bring the kingdom. Just come right in, start killing the Romans, and boom, here's the kingdom It's here. We're ruling over the world once again. That's what many people were ready for and waiting for. And Jesus goes against that by saying, no, it starts small. What's happening now is just a small seed that will continue to grow. And we're in the process now, in the middle of the kingdom, still growing till it finally reaches full maturity. We are, in a very real sense, part of the kingdom, but the kingdom has not been fully fulfilled yet. And so what's the summary of, all of, the, of both of these parables? God will grow His kingdom. He is growing His kingdom. We need to have patience. Not think that we can take things into our own hands. Not start grumbling against Him because He's waiting too long to bring the kingdom and to come back and to relieve us from our suffering. It's not about complaining. It's not about trying to do things in our own strength. It's not about forgetting and not trusting that He's really working the way He says He is. But it's to have patience and know that indeed that small seed that was planted that is continuing to grow will grow to maturity. God is not slack concerning His promise, as Peter would tell us. He is waiting till all those who will come to repentance come to repentance. And once that happens, then the kingdom will come in its fullness. And we know that's true. And so we need to have patience. So we see today so far in these three parables as we've looked at, Jesus was teaching about the kingdom. We see it will be received only by a few. It must be shared with the world around us. And one day we'll rule over everything with time and God's work. So then it comes to us. What does this really mean for us today? And we see that Jesus, by the way, at the end of this passage, continues to teach in parables. But He continues to tell His disciples what's going on. He's, he's revealing Himself to them. And today He's revealing Himself to us as we have His Word. We're reading not only the parable, but also the explanation. And so this is really for us. It's, it was for those men as well, and those women, and those people who are listening. But it's for us as well. God's Word does not just apply to one specific group of people, but to all people who read His Word and so we take this and we say, what can we glean from this? Well, the first question I want us all to ask is, which soil is your heart? And don't be too quick to say the good soil. I understand, and I'm not saying you're going to be perfect and you're never going to struggle with contentment or that you're ever going to struggle with wanting to walk away when things get hard because we're still human. We still have flesh in our hearts, and I understand that. 
But if you truly have committed your life to Jesus, you've repented and you're trusting in Him, then we will bear fruit. That is the truth of Scripture. And if you're not bearing fruit, you need to really think about it. Are you the hard soil? Maybe there's some of you here, and right now you know you're the hard soil. You've heard the gospel, you've been to church, maybe this is the first time you've even heard it, and you're just fighting against it, you're justifying your life, you're saying, I want to live the way I want to live, and you're hard soil. Jesus can break through if you just let him. Ask him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Trust in him and quit trusting in yourself. Trusting in yourself is only going to end in destruction. Or maybe you're the rocky soil and maybe you understand that maybe when you first heard about Jesus, you got really excited and things were going really well for a short time. And then when things started getting hard, you wandered away. Maybe it was a slow wandering. Maybe it was all of a sudden you just ran away. Well, many of you know the story of the prodigal son, and that's another parable. Jesus is ready and willing to take you back, run back to him, trust in him, and bear fruit. Maybe you're in that thorny soil where, you know, you profess Jesus. You come to church, maybe you don't, but you still profess Jesus and you you think everything's good, and yet your main concern in life is the world how you can best function in the world, how you can best receive riches, how you can best receive success, how you can best be accepted by those around you instead of accepted by God. It's not too late to give your heart completely to Christ. Repent. Trust. That's what He calls us to do. And as the good soil, if we are here and we have accepted Christ, we know that He is working in our lives. We see Him giving us fruit We see us being able to love each other in a way that we couldn't do in our own. We see ourselves doing things that are according to His Word and His will, not because we're strong enough to, but because He's letting us and He's allowing us and He's helping us. That is great, but don't hoard it to yourselves. Be the lamp that we are. Jesus doesn't say, by the way, make sure that you be the light. Jesus specifically says in Matthew 5, you are the light. If you know Jesus, the light's already there. Are you going to cover it or are you going to reveal it? Reveal the light of the gospel to those around you. Finally, for all of us, we need to have a trust in Christ that indeed He's coming back. So are we sharing the good news of the kingdom and are you waiting for God's timing or are you tempted to give up? Those are the questions we need to ask. Don't give up on Christ. He's in control. Consider what kind of soil you are and make sure that we're sharing the light of Christ with the world around us. And that's where we'll end our time this morning.